April brings the celebration and recognition of many things. Some years, as in this year, that includes the religious holidays of Easter, Passover, and Ramadan. But April is also Parkinson's Awareness Month and Poetry Month. Black Maternal Health Week falls in April, as does World Autism Awareness Day and Earth Day. And, as I just learned, National Velociraptor Awareness Day. That's April 18th for those dino lovers out there. Coming up on this episode of The Eagle, we'll go over the week's top headlines. Yeah, we've got to set the days since a major corruption scandal in New York State sign outside the Capitol back to uh, zero. And we'll talk about Black maternal health in the Capitol region. The statistics are that Black women have three times more likely to die during childbirth, but in Albany, it's actually higher than that. This is The Eagle, a Times Union podcast, a look inside our newsroom. I'm Jessica Marshall. If you're enjoying this podcast, take advantage of all the Times Union has to offer and support our efforts to bring in you award-winning journalism by becoming a Times Union member today. Go to timesunion.com slash subscribe. Welcome to The Eagle. I'm Jessica Marshall. First up, let's discuss what appeared in the Times Union and on timesunion.com this week. All right, back again are we with Times Union Editor-in-Chief Casey Seiler to talk about this week's top headlines. Earlier this week, I had a legitimate wait what moment when I was scrolling through Twitter. The Lieutenant Governor, Brian Benjamin, was arrested. He has since resigned. Tell us what's going on. Yeah, we've got to set the days since a major corruption scandal in New York State sign outside the Capitol back to uh, zero again. Um, Tuesday morning came the news that Brian Benjamin, the lieutenant governor who was appointed just after Governor Kathy Hochul took office back in August, well, had surrendered to respond to an indictment, including a half dozen corruption charges, including bribery and filing uh, false documents. And this was related to an alleged quid pro quo, a classic quid pro quo scheme in which Benjamin, once again, allegedly approved a $50,000 grant for an educational nonprofit that was run by a significant political ally of his, a real estate mogul named Gerald Migdal, who had once again, allegedly taken part in what's known as a straw donor scheme, in which basically I am a supporter of politician X. I give it to you, Jess. I give you $5,000, let's say, and and tell you, hey, Jess, donate it to politician X in your name. That is what's known as a straw donor scheme. And so here, uh, Benjamin, uh, once again, allegedly was trading this $50,000 grant for significant contributions to his political efforts. And in addition, it appears that Benjamin lied extensively to uh, the Hochul administration and to the state police in vetting documents that he presented when he was being considered as the lieutenant governor. So it's a mess. He resigned within just a couple of hours after his court appearance on Tuesday. What remains to be seen is 
how much political blowback this will have for Kathy Hochul. The selection of Brian Benjamin, you know, a state senator from Harlem, was the first big decision she had to make after becoming governor. This is not good news for her, especially coming only days after what was going to be a good news story about the settlement of, you know, her first state budget. There's also significant complications as to Brian Benjamin remaining on the ballot. At this point, it's very hard to remove him from it. And who the next lieutenant governor of the state of New York should be or can be. Hochul can name another lieutenant governor, but of course, that person would likely only be in office for, you know, the remainder of 2022. Things certainly got more complicated this week. Uh, Stick close to our Capital Confidential section on timesunion.com for the latest there. But of course, let's stay with state news here and mention that we had reported earlier this week that there is a bit of cloudiness around the governor's own campaign donors. Yeah, Chris Bragg, our outstanding Capital investigative reporter, got a hold through a FOIL request to the governor's office of email communications between top executive chamber officials and representatives of companies that had made very large donations to Hochul's campaign. And what they reveal is this process whereby donors make large donations. They reach out to the campaign and say, hey, I had a great talk with the governor at the event the other day, and I'm eager to talk to people within the executive chamber about our proposals. The campaign officials say, Yes, you ought to talk to Top Aid Jones, and here's Top Aid Jones's email and phone number. And then, of course, the donors, lucky for us journalists, forward the communication with the campaign to those executive chamber employees. So Chris Bragg was able to see all of that. Now, one imagines that the reason that the donors forwarded that email chain is to demonstrate, hey, remember who we are. I'm not just some schmo, I'm a top dollar donor to the campaign who recently hung out with the governor at a fundraiser. There is nothing illegal here, but it's unseemly without a doubt. And it demonstrates, and you know, this is in no way is Kathy Ockel the only politician who engages in this, but it demonstrates the sometimes very porous line between campaigns and government aids. Indeed. Never a dull moment or never nothing to talk about here in Albany. Stick by our Capital Confidential section once again at timesunion.com. Let's move on to some Albany news where we've talked about the Central Warehouse uh, on this podcast before. We certainly talk about it a lot on timesunion.com. The owner of the property uh, is fighting to keep it, fighting the county to keep it. So what, what happened there this week? Yeah, this appears to be a a Hail Mary by Evan Bloom, who uh, Albany County is trying to prize away from ownership of Central Warehouse, which, as we've discussed before, is a famously huge eyesore in Albany's warehouse district, visible, all too visible from from 787 for anybody coming into town from uh, from the north. Uh, And uh, in his latest court filing, he is asking for the chance to uh, sell the building, saying that that is the best way for the county to be able to wipe out the more than a half a million dollars in back property taxes that Mr. Bloom owns. Um, He has filed for bankruptcy 
just last month, and uh, that is seen as an, another tactic in his effort to hold on to ownership of Central Warehouse, which he has owned for a while and failed to do anything with, which led the county to, to move against him to try to take it back. It is unclear whether or not a judge would look upon this new gambit from him favorably, but yet another impediment in the path of anything happening to one of Albany's ugliest buildings. Yes, and I am suddenly reminded of a video that we had posted uh, a while back, probably one or two years ago now at this point, um, some really cool drone footage of the Central Warehouse. So check that out. It's on our YouTube channel. All right, uh, moving on to Menance, uh, up the river slightly, where earlier this week uh, some cats were dumped out of the back of an SUV at the Mohawk Hudson Humane Society. Tell us about that. Yeah, a lot of cats and kittens, two dozen of them, were dropped off Saturday night by a group of women who can be seen in surveillance video uh, bringing out cats in boxes and a cage, some of the boxes not very well secured. And kind of most shockingly, at the end of the clip of the security video, which people can watch on timesunion.com, you can see one of these women just kind of take a cat out of the back of their vehicle and sort of plop the cat into this, you know, kind of big pile of boxes filled with cats. The cat, of course, just starts to wander away. And it it really speaks to a, a kind of stunning lack of of good sense. Uh, this This, of course, happened outside the Mohawk Hudson Animal Shelter, which was closed. Um, on this Saturday evening. It was cold that night. Cats uh, can be especially vulnerable to hypothermia. Luckily, a local kid was riding by on their bicycle and um, spotted this happening and you know, made a call and alerted folks the animals were, were made safe. They're, they're cats and kittens. They're really cute. And folks can look at Will Waldron's um, very good photos of some of them. You know, Mohawk Hudson does a, a really good job, but this is not the way to uh, to shelter animals in any way, shape, or form. Indeed, that was a big story for us this week, and you can see some of the uh, security camera footage of the incident that happened last Saturday night over at timesunion.com. All right, let's wrap it up here with some fun news. Our annual Best of Winners are coming out next week. Can you give us a preview of Yes, best of the Capital Region. I used to edit the section every year when I was entertainment editor early earlier in my career at the Times Union. Always very exciting, always a ton of work from our outstanding feature section. This year we had a record number of nominations, 177,000 submitted in sort of the first round of judging. That's up wow. from uh, less than 140,000 the previous year. April 21st, the section will be in the paper. We will have the digital launch as well. A hundred categories, 12 of them new. One of the new categories, best capital region centric activity. Jess, what is yours? Oh my gosh. Uh, wow. That's a big, big question. But I think it would have to be going to see the Philadelphia Orchestra at SPAC every year. That's pretty good. I'm going to say just in the last couple of months, taking my dog for off-leash fun at Capitol Hills Golf Course during the winter months. So, of course, it's everything from 
you know, best Italian restaurant and best pizza to uh, any number of, you know, retail picks. It is without a doubt a popularity contest. It is quite literally the definition of a popularity contest. What we hope is that best of, you know, seeing the the winners and the runners up will lead people to have discussions about what they themselves think are the best in the region. But it's it's always great to see, you know, having it in the spring is good because people are getting out and it, it feels very much more like there's something to celebrate. Something to celebrate is something that we need very badly right now, <laughs> I think, not just <laughs> in the region, but kind of beyond. So it's it's great to see. Yes, it's excellent. And it's also a reminder of how many amazing things that we have here in this region. All right, Casey, thank you so much. And we will check back in with you next week. Just thanks. As always, you can learn more about all of the topics and issues that we discuss on this podcast at timesunion.com. After the break, it's Black Maternal Health Week, and we'll talk about how a local coalition is working to support birth justice in the capital region. If you're enjoying this podcast, take advantage of all the Times Union has to offer and support our efforts to bring in you award-winning journalism by becoming a Times Union member today. Go to timesunion.com slash subscribe. Welcome back. You're listening to The Eagle, a Times Union podcast. I'm Jessica Marshall. Last April, the White House officially recognized the week of April 11th through 17th as Black Maternal Health Week. According to the Centers for Disease Control, Black women in the United States are three times more likely to die of a pregnancy-related cause than white women. There are multiple causes of this distressing disparity, chief among them systemic and structural racism, inequitable access to quality health care, and implicit bias. The issue gained even more attention recently after tennis superstar Serena Williams published the details of her daughter's birth in 2017, a circumstance that almost ended in her death. A volunteer birth justice coalition based in the capital region called BirthNet has been working for several years to raise awareness and improve outcomes for black birthing people and their babies locally. I connected with BirthNet board member and doula Shia Overby to learn more about their work. Black Maternal Health Week is really a week. It became because Black women face racial disparities everywhere, but also in maternity care and maternal health. The statistics are that Black women have three times more likely to die during childbirth, but in Albany, it's actually higher than that. In Arbor Hill, the number of infant deaths for Black babies jumps seven times more than for white babies. Wow. We at BirthNet thought it was like a great week to kind of amplify the work that we do and also the fact that this is like a real life thing that's happening and also really happening in the Capital District. Yeah. Tell me more about that. So a lot of women that I've talked to say they go in and they're not listened to. You know, they they know their bodies. They know what's going on and something's not right. But, you know, a doctor or a nurse might not listen to them. Serena Williams recently had written, you know, recently I read about it, like about in detail about her birth and how it went, you know, even she, you know, a global superstar was not listened to at all. And she almost died 
that's just part of like being unheard as a as a black woman in general. Um, I believe it, doctors are taught that black people can feel or can tolerate pain better than white people. So when we go in and say like, this is bothering me or this is, it's kind of brushed off. And that can sometimes lead to, you know, internal bleeding or something did not heal right. And we're keep being told like, oh, you're fine. It just takes a little bit. And then women end up dying or their children end up dying because they are not being listened to. Like, what are you guys doing in the community? Like specifically what BirthNet is doing um, to kind of raise awareness of this and, and to talk to folks and to, to kind of get them to, to be aware of it. Well, one thing BirthNet has done is um, trained doulas, specifically Black doulas. And I believe 21 doulas came out of the last doula training. So not all are actually working, but that was one way of having these doulas who can, who know they are Black women, who know Black women and who can support Black women so that when we go into these spaces, we can have somebody um, on our sides. I can say I'm a doula, but I also had a Black woman doula I just gave birth four months ago. Oh, congratulations. Um, thank you. For the wider audience, like what is a doula? What do they do? A doula is somebody that you hire specifically to be your birth advocate. Um, so they are not a doctor, not a nurse, not a midwife, but they're somebody who's trained specifically in birth and how birth is supposed to go. Birth can go anyway, but they, they've met with you ahead of time. They know what your plan is for your birth. They know what you want. They know your kind of like signals. We've already talked about potential triggers. You've talked about what you want your birth outcome to be best case scenario. So they are kind of your birth advocate. They will step in and say, this isn't going how we thought, or they will keep you calm so that if something like I can speak from my own example, I had um, gestational hypertension. So my blood pressure was going crazy. And um, I had her to kind of keep my partner calm so that I could just focus on giving birth and sticking to my, my birth plan. Um, so they really are just an extra support in the room and an extra set of eyes, ears, and hands. And they're specifically for the family. So they have no affiliation with the hospital. Doulas in the Black community prior to this were not really popular, right? It wasn't a thing. People didn't know what a doula was or, you know, necessarily have access to one or to be able to pay for one. So can you talk about that? So I won't say that doulas were not a thing. I will, I, I would say that doulas look different than, the, than a trained person. A doula could have been an auntie or grandmother or somebody who's given birth many times and will go with you. So I won't say that they were not a thing. What I will say is that as far as trained people pitching themselves as doula, making income from it, heavily in the capital district, it's white women. Um, and a lot of times black women do not feel comfortable or want to have that something so special. So you'd want somebody who you feel a little bit more comfortable with. Um, also, like you said, money is a big thing. Does everybody have the same access to funds to pay for a doula? So a lot of the doulas are working on sliding scale or they're working with people's income to not overcharge them so that there are no barriers to care. You said that BirthNet has been doing doula trainings. Can you talk more about that initiative and like What's involved in the training? Like what can you kind of give an example of something that you might do in a doula training and exercise or something that you learn? A lot of it is, you know, the terms that 
the hospitals might be using um, implicit bias, cultural competency, even as far as um, making sure if somebody has, has past trauma in their life, making sure that we're aware of that and how to ask so that we're not coming off as insensitive. Um, also just knowing that not all birthing people are women. So we, we do a lot of training around that, training about just women's bodies or people's bodies, birthing people's bodies. Um, so there's a lot that goes into it. And then there's also like first aid, CPR, breastfeeding. So there's like lots of parts. And then you also have to do some births, like go be present for births. Can you talk about how you got involved and why you got involved with BirthNet and birth justice? What drew you to it? And myself specifically, I um, am a Black mom. <laughs> I have three children now. Um, I was young when I had my first children, so I wasn't as aware. Like I didn't necessarily have a, du- have a doula, but I had my mom and I had my sister. Um, so my birth experiences weren't bad per se, but I also did not know what could be offered to me because a lot of things, if you're young and Black and they they see you as this, they aren't going to offer you the same things as if you knew going in what you wanted. I got into birth work because I also do um, community care management, which is essentially social work. And I worked with teenagers. And so my teenagers would either get pregnant or get somebody else pregnant. And a lot of times we hear the conversation like, you made the baby, it's your problem. So these kids are going into the hospital completely unsupported. And that's where I found like, this is not fair. I would step in and and go or be present. So when I found out that I could make like more of a job out of it or make that a thing that's really a part of my life, that's when I decided to become a doula. And BirthNet came from, from that. Specifically, the situation in the capital region. I mean, that's so alarming that it is so much higher than the national the national rate, which in and of itself is alarming. So like when you talk to people, like how do you how do you how do you characterize that? When you led with the Serena Williams thing, it's like, well, if this rich, powerful woman who everybody knows almost died because she was so unheard, what do you think happens to? somebody who's a teenager who went in on their own, somebody who doesn't have the resources, just even a uh, you know a, a mom who doesn't have the finances. People are put into brackets when you go into places um, and systematic racism is a real thing. And hospitals are institutions. They don't seem to be having the right training on bias or cultural competency at all. Um, So the Capital District really is kind of amplifying what a problem this is. So we hope to have some good stories and some good dialogue about it and for people to feel heard. Um, Because with one story, five other people are gonna say, the same thing happened to me. Um, So that's what we hope to do. That was Shia Overby, BirthNet board member and doula, talking about Black Maternal Health Week and local birth justice initiatives. For more information, visit birthnewyork.org. All right, that's it for this week. I'm Jessica Marshall. We'll be back next week with another look inside the newsroom here at the Times Union. In the meantime, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram, or head over to timesunion.com for the latest news and features. The Eagle is a production of the Times Union. It's produced and edited by me, Jessica Marshall, with help from the Times Union digital team and the newsroom. 